Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, Thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, many months ago when I started in this, and God laid it on my heart just to work through the steps leading up to Calvary, just had no idea it would be such a wonderful time, you know, that God would just pull out so much truth and really show me things I'd never even considered before. But even tonight, as we deal with these thieves on the cross, Let's just hear what God may say to you and to me again. Let's pray. Again, Lord, it is our pleasure to be able to fellowship. And as we've spent time worshiping you, it's now time to break this bread of life. Father, feed each one of us. Let us hear the word of the Lord for where we live in our individual lives. Let this message edify us. At the same time, Lord, if conviction is needed, bring it to each one of our hearts and lives. But, Father, we thank you that we find all of our answers in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. The figures on the cross give us plenty of opportunity to reflect. We have an opportunity to think about how it is that we have ended up in some of the predicaments we've been in. In fact, when you look at something like this, I realize that it provides us an opportunity to look back and think if we could do things over, what would we do over? These two thieves hanging on the cross with Jesus, I'm sure that as they're moments away from death, that comes to mind. How did I get here? How did I end up here on this cross being crucified? But if someone were to answer them, they certainly would have to point all the way back to their past and reveal to them that it was a series of decisions, bad decisions, that have brought them to where they are. If we make bad decisions, of course, we put ourselves in peril. There have been a lot of people I've heard say, I I would never want to have to go before a judge and a judge have that kind of power over my freedom, when I can go, where I can go. But all the people that pass through the court who are then sentenced by a judge, normally before they get before that judge, they've already made a series of bad decisions that have brought them one step closer to being in that predicament. Those bad decisions have put these thieves here On the cross, and of course, when people are in bad circumstances, you would think at some point they would take stock of themselves. Think about how did I get here? Why am I here? What 
have I done to produce this particular predicament that I'm in? But that is not what one of the criminals did. He hung there on the cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And rather than thinking about his own predicament, how he could change his life in those moments while he's hanging a few feet away from Jesus, he instantly began to rail on Christ, which is to say he insulted him. Blasphemed. Here was a man that heard what all the people were doing in verse 35 as the people stood beholding Jesus. And they said he saved everybody else. Why can't he save himself? And that thief on the cross began to parrot what he heard coming from the crowd. That's bad. To be in a situation where as a criminal, you've been judged, found guilty. You're dealing with the penal aspect of your crime you're hanging there about to die and in your in your final breaths you don't find opportunity to say i'm sorry you don't take the time to apologize you begin to curse god a lot of people like that here's a man that's going out of the world the wrong way so you should understand there's a right way there's a wrong way to die this is the wrong way This man is cursing God and blaspheming blaspheming him and salvation is within a few inches of his fingers as they are out there outstretched. And this man's not interested in God at all. If you're really Christ, save us. You call yourself God. Everybody says you've done miracles. Do something for us now. Well, here's a man that's offended. And, And many people have gotten into Who knows how many kinds of situations and the first thing they do is they say, well, God, if you care about me, if you're interested in me, do something to deliver me from my problem, regardless of the fact that I'm in the problem because I created the problem. But deliver me now. Get offended at God. You've heard of Voltaire. I've told you the story of how that man died. It was during the Enlightenment period. Supposedly a very brilliant man. Wise, and they were in that era trying to free themselves from the constraints of religion. To use their words, they were trying to liberate themselves from the superstitions of Christianity. So people could sculpt as they want and write as they want, say what they want about God without some fear of censure or going to jail. And this man hated God, and he he said it verbally, he said it in writing, he told anybody he could get to listen to him how much he was displeased with God and didn't believe in religion at all, but it says toward the end of his life, as he was getting close to death, a few days, few hours from death, they said this this man, he suddenly began to exhibit all these different personalities. One moment he'd be calling on God and calling on Jesus, and they said the next moment he'd be cursing God and from his lips would come words that were terrible. Then that personality would change again. And, and he, he, he'd think he was God. He'd think he was the Christ. Then he'd change again and begin to curse God one more time. And they said one of the caretakers that he had, I don't know if it's a matter of popular lore or whether it was something that was just passed down, but they said one of the caretakers for this man said, never in my life would I ever want to stand by a bedside. Watch another infidel die. Here's a man died. And this man didn't care anything about God. You've probably seen John Hagee 
on television. John Hagee was preaching a camp meeting many, many years ago, and he told the story about the gentleman who was up preaching thousands of people in a facility, and he was preaching on hell. And I mean, he was in your face, confrontational with it, a to-the-point kind of message, the reality of hell. We need Christ in order to escape it, to be able to make heaven our home. And a man jumped up and shook his fist at him like that. Just kind of shouted, I don't believe a word what you're saying. Walked out. That host pastor knew the man. A few days later, that gentleman shook his fist. He'd had a bad accident on the job. He's now in the hospital. So that pastor and that evangelist went to see the gentleman in the hospital. When they got there, they said the man was laying there in the bed. And when they got within reach, they said the man reached out and grabbed him and grabbed the, the, the uh, coattails of that, that visiting preacher. Said, preacher, I can feel the fire. The fire is going through me. Please, preacher, save me, save me. Reached out and grabbed him. And then he said he went unconscious for a few moments. Said when he come back to consciousness again, he's screaming and yelling, preacher, save me, save me. I can feel the fire. I can feel the fire. He passed out again, screaming. Then just go quiet. Finally, when he came to and was yelling and screaming, that evangelist and that pastor began to minister to him as quick as they can, telling him the scripture says, whosoever call on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. They said, shout Jesus, call on Jesus in the midst of all of your pain, call on Jesus. They said, suddenly a calm came over him. He settled back, closed his eyes, went to sleep and died and died. There's a right way, there's a wrong way to leave this world. This thief was angry at God, angry at Christ, probably knew very little about Jesus, but yet with salvation so close, this man cares so little. But there was another thief in similar circumstances, but his outlook on life was totally different. He, he viewed four things differently that we can see here in the text. His view on God was different than the other thief. His view on guilt was different than the other thief. His view on Jesus and on eternity was different. Notice what he says in verse 40. The other answered and rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? Notice. Here's a Jewish man on the cross. Here's a Jewish man a few moments from death. He recognizes this person next to him is different. The fear of God has returned to him. Now the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of God is the fountain of life. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to demonstrate that you're wise or that you possess knowledge, start with God. You may know everything about botany. You may be able to explain uh, the, the, the uh, details of every flower that you come in contact with. You may be able to talk about the leaves on different trees, but do you have knowledge of God? That's the key. You may be able to pick up a, an insect and tell somebody everything they wanted to know and didn't want to know about an insect. But, but the answer to all of the, the real questions of life, the answers are centered in the knowledge of God. Since man was made by God, and God created man, then most of the answers that have to do with man's condition are centered in God. The scripture says the fear of God is clean. Think about that. And here on this cross, this man found that the fear of God had returned to him. What is the fear of God? The fear of God is 
an attitude of reverence and respect that is accompanied by a desire to obey God. That's what the fear of God is. So when, when did the fear of God return to you? Were you in trouble? Was it a good circumstance? Did you wait until your life was in peril? Were you feeling like you were crucified before, before the fear of God really came back into your life and crowded itself into your life where you began to think about the king? There are a lot of people who do not think about God until they're facing death. And the prospects of death will make a man or woman think about God a little bit more. I've stood by the bedside of many people who were dying. I think this past week up in Friends, someone passed away, a gentleman that was 98 years old. And I remember leading his son to the Lord. And so some people had said to me, they said, well, well, Pastor, we want you to come out to this little place we've got here in town. It was a wine tasting establishment. I said, well, what in the world am I going to do with a wine tasting establishment? I don't drink. No, we want you to come. You got to share probably what God did with this man because it was this man's son. This man doesn't even know that his son given his heart to the Lord. Well, the, the elderly gentleman at one time had been full gospel backslid, walked away from God. His son, who's in his 50s at the time, had had really just had some difficulties, a lot of difficulties. And and so I got a call when we were in our apartment up in in Friend one day, and they said, "Uh, Pastor, could you go by the hospital and see so-and-so? He had worked at a place there in town. So I went by and saw him and sure enough got to the hospital bed and there, you know, I could tell everything was going wrong. Those eyes were yellow. Those organs are shutting down from the abuse of the body. And when I got close to him, I grabbed his hand. I said, they told me you wanted to see me. He said, yes. Then he just started walking me through his life, telling me about going to youth group as a kid and such and such church, and then how he got away from God and everything was falling apart, and he just didn't know how to get back to God. So I just told him the story of salvation, Romans Road. Sinners, we are, and the gift of life, eternal life comes through Christ. Confess him, walked him down the Roman road to salvation. And that young man, as I was talking to him about that, I said, you want to pray with me and, and get right with God on this bed? He said, I do. He started crying as he prayed. And after we were done praying and I knew something genuine and something real that happened to him, I turned walked out of that hospital and he died a few hours later. So here I am now sitting there telling that same story to his dad. And he had no idea that some preacher cared enough to go and witness to his child. Think about that. See, I say child, he was an adult man. The fear of God returned to a man that was dying. The fear of God returned to this thief. And then you can see he asked a question in verse 40 in the last sentence. Don't you see that we're in the same condemnation? So here's a man that, that obviously recognizes his own guilt as well as the guilt of the other criminal. Verse 41, we indeed justly for we received the due reward of our own deeds. This man was he was honest enough to say, look, we deserve to be here. Our deeds have been wicked. They've been bad. I'm guilty of the crimes that I've been charged with. And so are you. 
So how can a man do that? How can he pass judgment on the other criminal like that? Well, the court has already passed the judgment. He's simply agreeing with the court. But even if the court hadn't passed judgment, he did it. Now You might say, well, I thought we weren't supposed to judge people. But judging people is something that we do all the time. We do that all the time. And it's not always wrong to do that. When my mama saw that I was running with kids I shouldn't have been running with and she thought my behavior was getting a little bit out of line because she could see I started acting up a bit when I started running with that boy or those boys, then mama pulled me along and said, I don't want to see you with them again and I don't want them over here at that house. You know what mama was doing? Passing judgment. Yeah. When a parent looks at their children and say, you know, you seem to do a whole lot better when you spend time with him or her rather than when you spend time with them. And you seem to be so much happier when you were that person. That's the one I'd like to see you spend a little bit more time with if you're going to be going out playing and having a good time. What is mama doing? Passing judgment. You make judgment calls all the time. Nothing sinful about it. It's just a way of life. The point of it is preservation. But how many of us are able to pass the right kind of a judgment like this man and say, I'm guilty. I'm here because of me. See, I'm here because of me. I'm in Nebraska because of decisions I made. Your life is a product of decisions you've made. Nobody else to blame. You don't want to be the 70 year old man or woman that's still angry at their parents who've been dead for 40 years simply because they say my life is a product of what they did. No, no. At this point, your life is a product of decisions you've made. The guilty culprit is not the one that's in prison. The guilty one is not the one that lives down the street that you refuse to talk to. The guilty culprit is you. They're seeing here. Seeing here, you might be able to identify what's going on in somebody else's life, but you need to be able to identify the the iniquity and the sin that's in your own life. That's what this man did. He said. We've received our due reward and justly. Now, this is important because this is a matter of witnessing to people and leading people to the Lord. Always remember this. You cannot get a man or woman saved until you first help that man or woman understand that they are lost. Because if you're talking to someone who honestly believes they are as good as you are without God, they are as good as you are without church, then you're talking to someone who is exhibiting self-righteousness. They have no concept of sin because they honestly believe they haven't done anything wrong. And it usually works like this. They'll say, well, look, look, I I try to keep the golden rule. I mean, if I've ever stolen anything from anybody and I've gotten caught, I've restored fourfold. I gave it back. If the courts ever sentenced me to do something, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I paid my taxes on time. I raised my kids like I'm supposed to do. I love my wife like I'm supposed to do. I'm not a bad person. Well, if you're going to determine whether you're good or bad according to how many deeds you've done, then I guess in your own eyes, you really are a good person. If somebody says, well, look, I'm as I'm as good as you are, Pastor Darrell, then you're nowhere. I am not the standard. Neither are you. Are you as good as God is? Are you as holy as God is? That is the objective. That's the aim. If you're aiming down here to try to get to where I am, you're aiming nowhere. 
But if your target is God, you want to be like him, then the pressure's on. The pressure's on. But you can't get a man or woman saved until that man or woman first comes to know that they are lost. Uh, there's a Hollywood actor by the name of Kirk Cameron, who really had a life-changing experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's become a very, very outspoken witness for the king. But he and his friend, I forget his name, but, but they wrote a book one time talking about witnessing to people. And in that book, they tell this story about how the, the other gentleman, he called one time to the airlines. He wanted to get a ticket. So he had the lady on the other line and he's talking about, you know, what day he wants to fly, what time he wants to fly. And somewhere in the middle of that, he said to that lady, he, he said, I'm, I'm a preacher. Do you go to church or anything like that? And the lady said, no, I don't go to church. I'm I'm just as good as any of those people that go to church. You know, religions for some people, not really for me, but I'm, I'm a fairly good person. And so that that person said, the man said to her on the phone, said, well, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. He said, um, you ever told a lie before? He said, well, uh, yeah, I told a, told a tale or two in my life. He said, well, what does that make you? Well, she said, I suppose a liar. He said, well, let me, let me ask you another question. He said, well, have you ever, have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? You've stolen something. She said, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I've done that before. Didn't get caught. He said, what does that make you? Well, she said, I, I guess a thief. He said, well, I don't mean to be too forward, but let me, let me just ask this one other question. Have you, have you ever engaged in an immoral act? The woman was honest. She said, I have. He said, well, what does that make you? And so while those wheels were turning in her head, he switched the subject back. He said, I'll take an aisle seat, please. And she said, oh, no, 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 we're not changing the subject now. You see what's going to happen? The law of God Helped her see she was lost. Now she's ready for the grace of God that's able to save her. The wheels were turning because for the first time she was confronted with who she really is. All that time she thought she was just as good as anybody else. Then she discovered I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. The scripture says in Romans 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a man or woman on this earth that has never sinned. When you look at me, when I look at you, none of us in here have ever beheld a perfect person. Now you think about that. You have gone your entire life thus far and never met a perfect man or woman. You serve a perfect God, but you haven't seen him in the flesh. The closest you have come to perfection is when you look at that beautiful baby that comes into this world. You bounce that child on your knees. You hold that baby in your arms. That baby is stained with original sin, but is not guilty of actual sin because it hadn't committed any crime against God or man. That's the closest you're going to come in this lifetime. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This man says, we have justly received for the deeds that we have done. It's not about the number of good deeds or bad deeds that you've done. If, if we started counting how many things 
we have done to help people, I'm sure that a lot of you in here have done a lot to help a whole lot of people. Yeah. And if, if, if that was the basis, you'd make it to heaven on, on that alone. If I thought making, making cakes could get me into heaven, I'd make some big cakes for you folks. I'm telling you. Make a lot of them too. Yeah. If, if I really thought, I've told you this before, if I thought that just, just baptizing somebody in water would automatically lead to their salvation, I'm telling you, I'd baptize everybody in this county. They'd be, they'd be driving by and I'd hit them with a hose. I'm telling you, in the middle of the night, I'd grab a handful of you and we'd go to somebody's house and we'd, ab- we'd abduct them in the middle of the night and carry them down to the river. And whether they want to be dunked or not, we'd just take them down in that water and hold them down and bring them up. They might come out yelling and cussing and screaming about how they hate it, but I'll say, it doesn't matter, you're saved now. If I thought water could save somebody, Folks, it's not what you do and how many times you do it. It's what he did, and he did it once. Once and for all. Once and for all. Well, let's look further at this. The thief on the cross at the end of verse 41, you can see the conclusion that he had come to regarding Jesus. He said, this man has done nothing amiss. Now, that's an interesting statement. Three people hanging on the cross, all of them have been condemned to die. One of them comes to the conclusion that one of us should not be up here. This man is innocent. He passed a verdict that was different than the verdict of the Jewish leaders that condemned Jesus. I don't know how close he was to Jesus and what he knew about the Lord before Christ was crucified. But on that cross, that man is able to say, this man has done nothing amiss. He knew. In his heart, this is a good man. It's a holy man here. Now, we should be able to say that also about Christ. He's the spotless lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He's the lamb without blemish. He's the one who knew no sin but became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He's the one that bore our sins on the tree. He's the one that had never did any wrong. Scripture says we should follow in the footsteps of Christ who, even when he was reviled, he didn't return it in like manner. That's what we're talking about, that kind of a, that kind of a person. Here's a thief on the cross that has had an opportunity to see something we haven't seen. And he's only been in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for a few moments. And he came to the conclusion that this man was without sin. We've been in the presence of God most of our lives, some of us all of our lives. And people still struggle to believe that Jesus is the Savior. Think about that. People have been in church all their life. And then at the end of all their church going, come to the conclusion, there is no God. There are a lot of people in church like that. But I'm telling you, in a place like that, if you can spend time in the presence of God, where the truth of God is, and come to the conclusion that there is no God, I'm telling you, there really was no presence of God in that place. Tiff and I, many years ago, were witnessing to a young lady and talking to her about the king. And, and, and she was a Sunday school teacher at a, at, a, at a fairly large church in a small town. And we just happened to ask her just in passing, said, do you, do you believe that Jesus lived without sin? Here's the teenage Sunday school teacher here. 
This is the one teaching people's kids all around that, that particular small town. Here's what she said to us. Well, everybody sins once. We're talking about Jesus. Everybody sins once. Think about that. Here's somebody says they're Christian and honestly believe that the one who's able to take away sins is the one who sinned also. If he had sinned and did sin, he could not remove sin. He cannot cleanse us of sin. Thief said, this man has done nothing amiss. But then notice what he says in verse 42 concerning Jesus again. Lord, remember me when you enter or come into your kingdom. This gentleman had begun to think about what life would be like on the other side of his final breath. He didn't like what he saw. It was a frightful vision. This man is hanging there on the cross, listening to the other thief saying things about Jesus. And he hears Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's talking like he's got a personal relationship with the heavenly father. He's acting, of course, like he's God in the flesh hanging on the cross. And this thief is over there. The fear of God is returning him because he's been thinking about the fact that when I die, I am in trouble. I'm in trouble. And in that desperation, having come to the conclusion that Jesus truly is the Savior, this man says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He obviously believes this king of the Jews has a kingdom and that there's another world out there that's beyond this flesh and bone body that we see. Why is it so few other people know that? You talk to people, they say, well, all there is is this body and then you die and you lay down in the grave and that's the end of it all. Nothing else exists. That's not what this man here said. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Father, think about me. Jesus, think about me. We've all prayed that before. Lord, don't forget about me down here in my circumstance. You see what I'm going through. Please, please don't forget about me. And I love Jesus' reply. He said, verily I say unto you today, you'll be with me in paradise. He gives that man confidence on the cross. And sure enough, when that man passed away, where do you think he went? Paradise. Now he's having this conversation with Jesus. There's a crowd of people standing around the cross. And imagine these folks are yelling and shouting and screaming. And in the midst of all that yelling, there's this personal private conversation going on between these two. And when that man died, and when this man over here died, and when Jesus died, do you know that crowd, they probably stood there and applauded and clapped because they thought everybody was getting exactly what they deserved capital punishment for a capital crime they were thieves and murderers they got what they deserved and 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 there's no way on this earth heaven would ever receive somebody like that but jesus said to this man this day you'll be with me in paradise he's saying to this man that heaven is not going to exclude you a bad man even though you've done a lot of bad deeds you've repented heaven wasn't too good a place for a bad man that's done a whole lot of bad deeds and I wonder what that was like when he made it, you know, just what must that been like when he when he got there and realized he's in the presence of God and he's walking around. And he looked might, might have run into a few people and they they probably looked at him. You. Of all people, you made it. You never even was baptized, you. You scoundrel, you. Of course, they'll be in heaven. They won't say that, you know. 
But, but you know, the, the, the shock and surprise of it all. But here, here, here's the idea, though. I don't doubt that when we get to heaven, there'll be a whole lot of people that made it there. We had no idea was talking to God in their final breath. We didn't hear it. We wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Yep. We, we've seen that happen in the final moments of people's lives. I've seen people that I honestly thought if I just looked at what they did in life and the stories I heard of people they hurt, there's no way on this earth heaven would receive him or her. And then standing there with them somewhat immobile, paralyzed, unable to talk, but able to blink. I preached the gospel to them standing at the foot of the bed. And, and, and I could see those eyes watering up, even though the rest of that body can't move. And then I'd say something like this at the end of my little five or seven minute sermon. If you understood everything I just said, please blink twice. They blink. I said, if you really want Jesus Christ to save you now in the midst of your sin, I'm telling there'd be folks out in the hospital hallway cursing and screaming because they hate the person so much. And I'm in there preaching the gospel to them. And then they come to know who Jesus Christ is and then end up dead. Have the funeral. And there are people absolutely relieved that that person is no longer breathing the air on planet Earth. And have a hard time believing somebody like that could be received into glory. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. You want to talk about grace? That's what grace is. That's grace. Somebody repents. Somebody is sorry for what they've done. Somebody has lived a life that's terrible, but they come to realize that in the light of Jesus Christ, they can find forgiveness. And uh, it happens. So, in conclusion, I can tell you this. God wants us to be like this good thief on the cross that repented and walked with the king. But then at the same time, God wants us to understand that, that we have a God that has done no wrong. No wrong. I, I promise you there's no man or woman that missed heaven and made hell shouldn't be there. God's not unjust. The Bible says God's not unjust, unrighteous. To forget your labor of love. You say, Pastor, all over this world, there are people that never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and what about the innocent native in the jungles of South America? What about the innocent native running around half naked in Africa? What about the innocent native that's a cannibal? over in Papua New Guinea? What about the, the innocent native in Norway or Denmark? What about them? Well, according to Romans 3, we've got to change the way we describe people, first of all. There is no innocent native in Africa. There is no innocent native in South America. Romans 3 says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So ask the question, what about the guilty one and so and so? People... Before Christ, they weren't missing heaven because they'd never heard the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 1 says people were being rejected because they rejected God. They rejected God. See? And all over this earth today, this is why Jesus said go and to preach the gospel to everybody and let people know about the king. Because there are a lot of people who can come to know him in their final moments. Got to let people know. Don't ever take for granted anybody is born again. 
Just talk to people. You find out where they are just from casual conversation. Last thing I'll tell you, I asked a person one time. We were down, I think I had to do an FCA meeting down in Kansas one time. And I forget which church, I know where I was at. I was in a Methodist church. I won't name the town. Big, big, huge, big, huge place. So I get there, there are all these kids there. And uh, I, I asked one of the, the hosts of that meeting. I said to the lady, I said, um, I said, are you born again? That's what I said to her. Are you born again? And the lady, she looked at me, she said, well, I'm the secretary of the church. I said, well, that, that's an honorable job to have, but are you saved? Because you can be secretary of a church and not be a Christian. It can just be a job. Well, she, she you know, in, in the, the farming vernacular, she, she looked at me like, like a calf looking at a new gate. Just kind of, what, what is he talking about? So I, 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 just, I just quickly had, had to explain it to her as, we, as I was talking to the kids in that meeting. But, but here's the point. Folks, don't ever take for granted that somebody knows just because they're attached to a church. Yeah? Let's stand. Thieves on the cross. Oh, my goodness. Ah. It's a great day to be alive if you're alive. Great day to be alive. Well, I think probably in one of these upcoming